Now, the reason they play all that music is so they can get the television and all the other stuff that we usually have up here. But since I don't know, I'm not trusted with any of that stuff, <laughs> then I just, we just stand here and listen to the music. Uh, now, the reason I'm not trusted is because I'm old and I can prove it to you because for well over 30 years, I've preached from a Bible the size of my hand, but I can't read it anymore. So I had to dig out the big one with the giant print. And it's so heavy and my hand shakes so bad that I have to use a music stand to hold it on. Because after 10 minutes of holding it out there and trembling away, I would have to quit. And I know you guys want an hour at least. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to talk about the call of the eternal. But we're not getting there right away. We have to start in verse 5, because that's the passage I was assigned. And there's lots in there to talk about. So look in your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Now, in the same way as what? Well, David covered that very nicely uh, last week. Uh, he talked about uh, how as people who are older need to behave and how they need to manage their Christian life and a lot of other stuff. But, in the, but it's not just for older people. It's for younger people too. And why does he say, single you out, young people? Why does he say, submit yourselves to your elders? Well, you know what? I was 17 once upon a time, and I remember what it was like. I knew everything. I knew more than my teachers, so I never bothered to finish high school. And I knew more than my dad, so the summer that I was 17, he bought me a, uh, and I thought this was a tremendous privilege, a wonderful thing that he did for me, uh, and in retrospect it was, but he bought me a from a small town, a small farm in Manitoba, he bought me a one-way train ticket to Edmonton, Alberta. A one-way. I thought that was great. He was just trying to get rid of me because I was so insufferable. But anyway, I ended up in a place called Zama City on an oil rig uh, as a roughneck, and that's about 50 miles from the, end of Al the north end of Alberta somewhere up there, and I got paid $3.10 an hour, which was more than a school teacher made in those days, and all the hours you could work. It was great. That's what young guys do. They go someplace and they get a job, and uh, because they know everything. Later on, I started to raise a family of my own, and I realized my dad was a lot smarter than I gave him credit for. But... Uh, and I learned some things, too. I'll, I might tell you about some of them sometime. But in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. You're young. You think you know it all. But there are some gray heads out there, and even some that are not so gray, that they have a little more life experience than you, and they could help you along a bit. And besides, it'll make you look really good if one of them happens to be looking for somebody who's looking for a job, if you're, if you're respectful and don't 
pretend that you know it all, even if you do. So he says, submit yourselves to your elders. And he says, all of you, that's all of us alike, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about humility because David covered it very well last week. But I love the part where he said, humility is not thinking a little. And I'm not doing this word for word because my memory isn't that good anymore either. Humility is not thinking of yourself as less than other people's. You know, oh, woe is me, I'm just a, a nobody. It's not thinking of yourself at all in relation to other people, better or worse. Just thinking about what's best for them. What's best for them. And not thinking about yourself in everything, which we're so prone to do. I mean, I am too. I'm going to tell you in a minute, when I get to the middle of my sermon, I'm, I'm kind of proud of that because I managed to find three words that start with R for my main points. It's pretty amazing, especially when your mind is as old as mine. You can find, you can find three words that start with the same letter. And I'm a little bit proud of that, but uh, you'll, you'll humble me afterwards, I suppose. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. We don't need to struggle for position or esteem or anything like that. All we need to do is what God would have us do, and He will look after exalting us any amount that's necessary or any amount that's due for us. But we don't even have to think about that. God looks after that. People talk about, oh, I wonder what my position in heaven will be. You know what? I don't care. I don't think about that because God will look after that quite nicely. He's in charge. David, the King David from, oh, about a thousand years before Christ, he said, you know what? I'd be glad if I could just be inside the door. Let me be the doorkeeper, he said, in heaven. That's good enough just to be there. God looks after giving us what's due for us, what's necessary for us, what's best for us. We don't have to worry about stuff like that. He also says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I like the King James better for this one because it said, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And the reason I say that I like that better is because not everything that we care about makes us anxious. If it did, I'd be a mess. But there's lots of things I care about that I'm not anxious about. But those things too, I leave and we should leave, we try to leave, I try to leave, those things in God's hands. Because He, once again, He knows what is best for me. He is looking after things that, even things that go wrong, God looks after us through those, even things that are difficult. And we'll talk more about that later. But lay all your cares on Him, and not just the ones 
the things that you worry about or that make you anxious, but everything, everything that you care about, you can trust God with all of it. So he says, and, and this is kind of sobering, he says, and we're, su- we're supposed to be alert and of sober mind, he says, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, we don't like to think about that much, and we probably don't. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. But it's true. We have an enemy, those of us who are followers of Jesus. Well, all mankind, actually. But I don't think the devil pays much attention to people who uh, are not followers of Jesus. He doesn't have to. And I'm thinking back to my own life. I was 26 years old, or close to it, when I came to know the, when I became a follower of Jesus. And before that, I just walked around thinking I was some lucky cosmic accident, you know. Uh, that's what they teach, you know. The, some, I went to university when I was 40, and, and, uh, and I took a physics class. And uh, according to the physics class, we're just some, some cosmic blast produced everything that we see around us. And that's what I thought. I'd been raised to believe that there is no God, and so I thought it must be true because that's what my parents taught me. So you walk around, you do whatever you like. The devil doesn't, isn't required to, to mess up your life by doing anything. You're doing a great job of it on your own. The foolish decisions you make and the, oh, I have to have that, or, oh, I need that, so I'll have it. That's the way we think. Some people are more successful at controlling their thoughts probably than, and their desires than I probably was, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, you have no reason not to uh, behave badly and glory in it. So we do. But when we become followers of Jesus, I think the devil pays particular attention to messing up our lives. I, I really do. I've seen so many people who seem to have it all together, and we're, we're following the Lord Jesus, and all of a sudden they make a stupid decision, and they give in to some temptation, and, and first thing you know, they're addicted to drugs, or they're involved in adultery, or, or you name it. They've stolen something, and on and on and on, because they did not resist temptation. He says he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. How do we resist the devil? It's not as if we're not tempted as followers of Jesus, because we are. We face temptation all the time. But when we begin to to realize it, I mean, we're faced with temptations that they don't even they just, we don't even notice them. But sometimes we notice one. And when we start to think about it, we start to think, you know, I'd really like that, or I'd really like to do that, or, or something foolish like that. How do we resist? We turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. We turn to the Bible, His Word. The Bible says, thou shalt not in some particular temptation, perhaps, 
And so we turn to God and we say, Lord, help me with that. Help me. Give me the power to resist that. Give me the strength to turn away from that. And He will. He will. That's how we resist. We don't resist because we're, we're really got it together. That doesn't work because we don't really have it together. But we resist by turning our attention to Christ and what He wants for our lives and how He would like us to live and what He thinks is necessary for our health and happiness and, and everything else. So he says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. The same. None of us goes through life, even as a follower of Jesus, untempted. Nobody does. And some people face far worse things than anything I have ever faced. I've never faced too much, actually, and I think that's because I'm so weak. The other people who are stronger, they get it worse than I do. So God doesn't allow too much to happen in my life because I'd probably fail. However, every one of us shares that in common. Every one of us suffers in some ways. Every one of us is tempted. And he says, don't think that you're special because you're being suffering or being tempted in this way, because you're not. Other people do too. So get over yourself. Now, he says, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ Jesus. That's the call I want to talk about today. It's the call of the eternal. God is eternal. Jesus Christ is eternal. God is the only being or thing or anything else that is eternal. The rest of it is all temporal. Everything around us. We did not start as eternal beings. Those of us who follow Jesus, do have an eternity to look forward to. And that's, there's, there's three reasons for that. The first of them is because we have been rescued. We were beings who were perishing. Perishing. Without God, alone in the world, no hope of a future. As I said, I grew up thinking there was no God and that we ceased to exist when we died, at whatever age that may be. That's, that's hopeless. You may as well go do whatever you, you'll feel like if that's all you have to look forward to but we don't. The Bible teaches that in Christ we receive eternal life. 
starts from the moment we believe. We are rescued. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, whosoever should believe in Him shall have, shall not perish, but have eternal life. We are rescued. The thing after rescue, it doesn't just end there. We don't just uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's not where it ends. That's just the beginning. We enter into a new relationship. We become children of God. For as many as them who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, God gave them the power to become children of God. We became children. The Bible speaks of us as being joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What's an heir? An heir is somebody who inherits everything. When my father died in 2020, my siblings and I split whatever my parents left behind once they were both gone. And it wasn't a tremendous amount, but, uh, but it was nice to have it. There's some things that uh, got passed around, keepsakes and memories and, and enough money to buy a few plane tickets somewhere perhaps and some other things because we were heirs. So we were entitled to everything that was theirs. They shared it equally amongst us all. And the Bible speaks of us as being joint heirs with Christ. That means everything that is Christ, everything that is Jesus' stuff belongs to us also. We, we share it. I still don't know what all that means. I, I know very little, I think, about the future. What does it mean? I I don't know how big that is. It doesn't matter. I'll leave that in God's hands. But everything that is Jesus's, everything that is Christ's, I'm going to share it someday. And so are you if you're a follower of Jesus. Because we are now part of a family. Peter even speaks of it that way. He says, Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So we suffer as a family, some perhaps more than others, but we share in that suffering and we shall share as heirs in the reward. The future, whatever it looks like. Like I say, I don't know much about that. But I know that it's going to be, I'm going to be part of it through Jesus Christ and faith in Him. He also speaks, this call speaks of renewal. We're going to be renewed because 
of our faith in Jesus. Now, it's not just rescued. It's not just being put in part of a new family, new relationship. But it's also a renewed life. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, especially when we come as adults, even children, though, have made some bad decisions, not the same as perhaps some of mine. But when we come as adults, we have a whole bunch of living behind us where we lived for ourselves and we did what we wanted and we behaved in ways that however we felt like behaving. And God takes us just that way when we come to Him. doesn't matter what you've done. If you decide that you're going to believe in Jesus, that you're going to trust Him and give your life to Him, He'll take you. doesn't matter how awful you've behaved, how terrible your thought life is, how wicked your treatment of other people is. doesn't matter. He'll take you. But the good news, and perhaps the painful news, is He will not leave you in that state. He does not leave you that way. He begins the process of changing you from what you wear to what you will be. The Bible says that someday we will be like Jesus Christ because we will see Him as He is. That's when the process ends. Someday I and you will die. And because I have trusted Jesus, I will go to be with Him. And that is when the process becomes complete. I will become like Him. If, perchance, He returns before I die, I will see Him. I will be taken up to be with Him. The process will be over. It will be done. My character will become like the character of Jesus. But in the meantime, I've already been working at this for, uh, let's see, 45 years, I guess. Somewhere around there anyway. And uh, a little more than that even. But God has been changing my character in that time. The Bible says that we are to be renewed, transformed by the renewing of our mind. God changes our minds to suit what He wills, not what we will. He changes our desires to desire what He desires, not what we used to desire. He changes our behavior so that instead of, of using people and, and walking all over them every chance we got, we begin to care about them and do things that are for their higher good. We're going to talk a little more about that in a minute. But the thing is, God renews us. He begins to change our character, and He gives us the power to change also. In my pre-Christian days, uh, if I wanted something, I wanted it. 
and I had no power to say no, and no reason to say no either. I mean, if you're just a, a, some thing, a piece of, of human flesh walking around with a finite existence, you may as well enjoy yourself, right? Do the best you can that way. But now, with the Holy Spirit living within us, as we have exercised faith in Christ, we have the power to make good choices, God's choices. There's long lists in the Bible of things that we should choose to stay away from, and other lists of things that we should choose to do and say and be. And God empowers us to make those choices, to make the right choice. It's still possible to make the wrong one, by the way. That's why uh, sometimes we see people who have been very respectable in circles of faith who make terrible choices. Adultery, greed, drug addiction, all kinds of things. We're not immune from stuff like that. But we do have the power of choice. One of the things that we are to choose, and I'm going to back up a chapter or so here, is love. Chapter 4, verse 8. And I know somebody preached on this in the past weeks, but, but I get my turn today. He says, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Does that mean you get a free pass on something because you, you love people? No, it doesn't. There are no free passes that way. What it means when it talks about covering sins, it means that you will exercise forbearance when someone sins against you, and you will continue to love them and treat them well. Even if they've offended you, their sin is covered. And when you do something nasty to somebody else, which occasionally happens in all of our lives, even as followers of Jesus, if they are following Jesus also, they'll overlook it. It's covered. They choose not to uh, take it out on you or anybody else. So love covers sins, but it also changes the way we, we look at how we relate to other people. Love, first and foremost, is action for someone else's higher good. That's what love is. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling, although uh, I'll have to confess that the warm, fuzzy feelings are… Uh, they're wonderful. But it's action and behavior for someone else's good, anyone's good. It can be somebody you have never met before, you're never going to meet again, and you have a five-minute interaction with on a street somewhere, and you can love them, not because you feel warm and fuzzy about them. They may be hitting you up for enough money for a cup of soup or something. 
and you don't even know what they're going to do with the money afterwards. And, and, and that's none of your business, really. Just hand them the, the five bucks or whatever it takes to buy a cup of soup, because then they're responsible, not you. We have ideas that, oh, uh, we should do the right thing for them by not giving them money because they're just going to spend it on whatever. You know what? That's an a, that's a easy way to be stingy. Sorry about that, but uh, that's the way I look at it. Uh, just hand them some money. That's what love does. And pray that they will spend it on soup or whatever that they need. It's action for someone's higher good. You don't feel warm and fuzzy about some of those people at all. Sometimes they smell bad. Sometimes they're rude when they ask. But that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to care about them. That's how you're to relate to everyone. You have a responsibility of care, action. Doesn't matter what you feel like. Action for their higher good. That's part of being transformed. That's part of being renewed. So that's the call of God. And, and by the way, if you're listening online today or, or you're here for the very first time and you're not a follower of Jesus, God is calling you. God is calling each of us to that relationship. He desires that all people everywhere, God so loved the world, covers pretty much everybody. He calls each and every person, and He calls them over and over again, continually. And once they answer the rescue part, He continues to call them deeper and deeper into that life, that life that is Christ-like. And I know you and I don't look very Christ-like some days, but it's not about what you look like. It's about what you are. You're renewed. You have a new relationship. And the God of grace, who called you into His eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast. Now there's something about suffering that we shrink from, and with good reason. Nobody enjoys that. And I don't think that God reaches out and points and says, you're going to suffer this, and you're going to suffer that, and you're going to suffer that, and you're going to suffer this. I don't think He does that. I think life does enough of that all on its own. We're imperfect beings and a uh, a flawed world, and so we suffer many things. Sometimes they're our fault, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're somebody else's fault, and sometimes they're just circumstances. You get a, a terrible disease, that's just life. Many people do. But I don't think God wastes any of our suffering. He may not decree that we should have it. I don't think He does. 
but he does use it to change our life and character. And sometimes he even uses the sufferings of people that are very dear to us to draw us nearer to him and, and change our character. I know that is true because God has used the suffering of someone who is very dear to me to change my character over the years. That's how, that's how God works. That's the redeeming thing in all of this. So he says, after you've suffered a little, God himself will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. He says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, that family relationship again, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Remember, there's such a, thing, such a thing as truth. And that truth, Jesus said, was wrapped up in him. <coughs> Excuse me. When you're old, you dry out sooner, too. So he says, stand fast in it. He speaks of another church in Babylon, chosen together with you. Family relationship again. <coughs> he says, so does my son Mark greet you. Mark wasn't his son. He was Barnabas' nephew. Family relationship. You, you guys, uh, and you may not like this, but we're family. I'm part of your family. He says, greet one another with a kiss of love. I'm not going to tell you to do that because uh, I am, I'm really sensitive to people whom I don't know that well touching me and, and bestowing intimate things on me. A handshake is good enough, you know, that'll, that'll be fine. But, uh, and in our society, it just wouldn't look right. So you don't have to, uh, it was okay here, and we can obey the spirit of the saying, uh, not the letter. You don't have to run around kissing everybody today, uh, especially not me. He says, peace to all of you. That's how we're going to end. Peter ends with a benediction. He says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peace. Let's pray together for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you today for your work in our lives and in the lives of many hundreds and thousands and uncountable people all over the world. Thank you for your plan through your son Jesus to rescue us. Give us a new family and, and, and renew our lives and character. We praise you for that. We love you. We worship you. Thank you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.